Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, and we're coming to you all the way from the shop in Kansas City. We, as always, are brought to you by our sponsor, Charlie Hustle. Uh, Charlie Hustle is absolutely amazing, doing some amazing things in the community. Specifically, one of the upcoming projects was recently announced that Noah's Bandage Project was selected as a part of Charlie Hustle's Communities program. So be on the lookout for a really cool, exclusive Charlie Hustle and Noah's Bandage Project, Casey Hart. If you don't own a Charlie Hustle item, uh, whether it's a shirt or joggers or socks, whatever you're into, Maybe your first should be the What's Good Fundamism Collabo. So go to fundamism.com to learn more. Why What's Good? Get out of the mundane conversations of work, weather, and family and focus more on what lifts people up. Assume that something is great in somebody's day and help them focus on it by asking the question, what's good? Learn more at fundamism.com. Let's get into it. We are in the presence of philanthropic royalty. I, and when I say royalty, I mean, she's been at it for a long time. She is one of the first individuals that I met in the philanthropic space. Uh, Miss Marty Postalweight is with us today. How are you doing, Marty? Great. How are you? I am on cloud nine now that we finally got this on the calendar and you're sitting in front of me. Uh, I feel terrible that it's taken so long, but it's culminating now in probably the greatest podcast interview I've ever had. I'm foreshadowing. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it so much. It's an honor for me to be here. And again, you're one of my heroes and love the great things that you do here. So I'm anxious to have an amazing conversation and and unveil some uh, great things, uh, not only in the community, but just great, hopefully, little antidotes about life and, and living and, and loving as we move forward. Well, we're uh, a minute and 45 seconds in, and you're already trying to make me cry. Aww. So this is, <laughs> this, is, this is not good in terms of where I know that we're about to go. So, Marty, uh, I start every single podcast with the same thing. So fundamentalism is all about the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. What do you do for fun? You are, you are somebody that has seen a lot of strife, uh, anxiety, and, and challenge in life. And one of the reasons why I think it was super important for me to have you on this podcast is you always carry yourself with this light and this brightness and this smile and optimism. And I know that stems from the fact that you're given strength by a lot of different things. So in that, what do you do for fun? I am. So for fun, I love to cook. Ooh. Uh, my passion has always been cooking. And so when I want to relax and, and enjoy myself and kind of be my little downtime aha moment, um, I cook. And then my other passion is my grandchildren. Mm. I'm very blessed with five beautiful granddaughters that uh, two of them live in St. Louis. The other three are here based in Kansas City. So I love keeping young, staying involved. And I think, you know, growing up, I was named after my grandmother and my parents, my mom especially, always made sure that she was such a huge part of my life. And so I hope to move forward and continue that legacy for me because there were so many times, and I think today a lot of kids don't have that um, ability or the, the fortunate, the good fortune to have a grandparent in their life. And to me, that was so important. So that's something that I want to pay forward to my grandchildren. I love it. And um, I think obviously it's important. Family is always important, right? Very. But specifically to have family that you could look up to and that you could feel good about going to and um, providing you guidance and being able to model, you know, some of, we talked about this before we came on together, right? Being able to model some of your lifestyle and some of your choices and the way that you carry yourself. Um, 
around people that you really admire. And I am certain, just based on my experience with you, that your grandchildren and children look to you as that individual, as do many in the Kansas City area. So that takes us to just a brief introduction into what you go uh, you do. I said that you are a philanthropic royalty. Thank you. So 25 years, is that right? So very proud to be celebrating 25 years of the Shadow Buddies Foundation. This is a very passionate uh, program, nonprofit that's very near and dear to my heart, literally. So after having two very beautiful, healthy daughters, uh, we found out that we were pregnant with twins and at the time lived in Columbia, Missouri and had no idea what uh, lied ahead ahead of us. And I, again, I think sometimes what you don't know, you're better off until after you're put into a situation. So was very fortunate to give, uh, birth to twins, and Miles was our only survivor. So we had two identical twins. We would have named uh, Miles' other twin was Matthew. So I think then that um, our whole life, I don't think, I know our whole life was put into a different uh, tailspin and, and put on survival mode. So at the time he was born, he's 32 now, Uh, Technology was not as advanced as it is today, so he immediately was transferred to a different hospital in Columbia. Miles was 10 days old before I met him. I remember having the feeling of walking into the NICU and taking a look at this child and thinking, oh my gosh, this can't be my son. Uh, One pound, 12 ounces, uh, wasn't given a day to live, then wasn't given 10 days to live, then he wasn't given two weeks to live. And and we kind of battled that for the first nine months uh, very heavily in Columbia, packed our bags, and we did move back home. We moved back home to our community here in Kansas City because that's where our support was. And I think, again, you tie in that family piece of it. And I needed, I was trying to be strong for my girls, and I needed somebody to help be strong for me. So we brought Miles back to Kansas City, moved our family back here, and he immediately uh, started a journey of living in the hospital for the first five years. Um, Had to bribe him to buy a race car bed when he was five so that we could finally sleep alone, his dad and I, because you figure you have a child that spends that much time in a hospital. You constantly have people coming in and out of your room. You've always got, we were very fortunate to have either uh, Miles' dad or myself in the room with him. So when you come home for the few days and then all of a sudden you put him in a bedroom and he's like, well, wait a minute, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of people in here. So I think it's amazing to look back at some of the things that we went through and those memories. And it really does come down to you have to draw and um, start to find the strengths. And I think that's when I started to find the strengths in my heart that I never knew I had. I felt always shy growing up. I did gymnastics, was a cheerleader, you think, and, and I was outgoing. But I would never uh, put myself out there in front of people. And and that's just something that's been interesting for me to see in as adult what I've been able to do. I, I couldn't agree more and didn't know that you were ever an individual that was somewhat introverted. I mean, you're, you're very soft-spoken. Uh, very articulate, like you you could tell that you put a lot of thought into the words uh, that come out of your mouth. But I recall going to one of your events, and it was at uh, a bar, the Rock uh, in— Rock and Bruce. The Rock and yes. Bruce. 
and uh, you're uh, you mentally preparing yourself to get up on stage and speak. And uh, I recall you getting up on stage and, and you know, just owning it. And uh, I feel like you've always been really strong in um, at least communicating the vision of what Shadow Buddies is. And I think that it starts with, you mentioned this, your passion. It's near right. and dear to your heart. I think it's very easy um, to scream from the, from the mountaintops something that you care about and right. something that is as close to you as Miles and Shadow Buddies is. Absolutely. And, you know, so 25 years ago, I had this vision. So fast forward to Miles was six years old, home from school one day, had a colostomy bag at the time, had already endured two open heart surgeries, was in line for an intestinal transplant that we were looking at going to Omaha. At the time, they hadn't done any yet. And so he said, you know, Mom, I really wish I had a friend that was just like me. And I don't sew. I'm not. I think probably because my mom is very articulate. Um, Play-Doh wasn't big. She may argue with me. But Play-Doh wasn't big. Painting probably wasn't big. My brother and I stayed busy, but we were outside activities. Sure. So not having any idea about how to sew or how to move forward. And so by this time— we literally lived in the hospital the first five years of his life. My background was in a business and in accounting. So Miles' surgeons came to me and said, we see the kind of parent you are. We see the value and what you put into in taking part because you learn when you have a catastrophically ill child or you have a child that has endured major um, medical issues that you have to become that advocate for that child. For sure. And there's nobody that knows your child better than you do, like you do for your beautiful daughter and son. Mm -hmm. And I think we become the voice for them. So they said, hey, we have a proposition. Why don't you go back? Why don't you learn how to be a medical transcriber? Go back and learn the nursing parts of being um, what it takes to work in an operating room. And I stepped up to that plate, and I thought, wow, I can now go in there. I literally took Miles to work with me in a wagon and then would take him from the wagon back to his room after working all day. And after about five and a half years, when we were getting deeper into looking at the intestinal transplants, looking at um, everything that he had lying ahead of him, and I think by this time he had had 28 major surgeries, oh, and it got too close to my heart. Sure. I had, unfortunately, you, you see the, the outcomes that are not quite as, as good as we all hope that they could be. But my point is, is that watching these kids go back into the operating room watching what the parents, because in those days, you literally walked your child to a door. You'd never, you did not, back in those days, have the, um, you know, the easy sedation and, and the transition of being able to take him back, lay him down, you know, in the pre-op area, and then walk away once they were calm. I mean, a lot of these kids, in my opinion, were being ripped out of the hands. So, mm. When he wanted a friend, I think that really helped me envision the part that this is a tangible buddy that kids can take with them, that it's introduced in them. It helps become that liaison piece between the healthcare provider, the child, and the parent. And I think any time that you can start that process out to make it much more, um, re not relaxing, but much more acceptable for the parents, it makes it a lot easier on the whole family. For sure. So, 
That's how I was able to envision Shadow Buddies and made the very first one. At the time, Miles was being treated at Schneider's Children's Hospital in New York, took it to the doctors there. Um, They loved it. They said, oh my gosh, there are other teaching tools, teaching dolls out there, but there's not one buddy that once the child bonds with it, they actually get to keep. So that was a big, that was a big aha moment for me. I remember coming back and quitting my job. And I think Miles' sisters cried harder than anybody because we had maxed out two health insurance policies back in those days. There were days that people did garage sales for us. There were days that people would do things for us and help pay for Miles' supplies so that, you know, he could have his full set of ostomy bags because even like today insurance cap and you have different limits, but, um, it was, it, it was a big eye opener and had no idea where to begin. But as a young woman back then took my idea to the Johnson County business tech center, to the incubator and presented in front of a board in Topeka. And amazingly, there were two companies in this building. One happened to be shadow buddies And the other one was Garmin, who went to the same incubator with an idea to build the GPS. You guys came up at the exact same time? Exact same time. Um, I'm not in the Garmin building or in that situation. (laughs) Uh, But it it is a lot of history and moving forward. And so it, it has all been, to reflect back 25 years, the big surreal picture for me. For sure. And super admirable to think of, you know, it's, it's very easy when we are, as society, going through something, a challenge, uh, heartache, a roadblock, if you will, to get hypersensitive and hyper-focused to ourselves mm-hmm. and what we're dealing with and how to get through it ourselves, right? And what I admire about you and your story is uh, you took this as an opportunity to not just move yourself forward, right, uh, but to have a platform to help, you know, thousands and thousands of others that are going through it as well. So you're going through this incubator at the same time with Garmin. (laughs) Um, Ultimately, you've seen a great deal of success. How many shadow buddies have you guys helped distribute around the world? So 1.6 million in 25 years. So my very first big uh, customer that I would call or my very first uh, big company back in the days was Herx Marion Russell, which then became Sanofi Aventist. I went to Ed Connolly with this passion and, and I wanted to also create a book that I could help educate healthy kids about kids with disabilities. To me, it's all about doing that piece to provide knowledge and strength and passion to other kids. Because I'll never forget the first day Miles went to school and, and he had uh, you know, a little incident with his ostomy bag, had a brand new pair of shoes on, cried all the way back up to the nurse's station. But his, his classmates had no idea what was going on. Sure. So we went in to help educate them about why he couldn't run and do all the recess things on the playground, having a bad heart and and other opportunities. But my piece is just to bring that awareness and that compassion piece. And it also was a big eye-opener to me when we were blessed to have People Magazine come and do a big story 25 years ago. And the reporter from Chicago said, we would love to have an interview with your daughters. So at the time, 
they probably were eight and and six. And they said, you can sit here, but with all regards, we would love to listen to them. So they talk about Miles and they talk about having a brother and what do you think of making these buddies for children? And we were very determined that we want to call them buddies because boys can relate to them. They're not a doll. And I think that was the first time and I got really teary-eyed listening to their story was that we never stopped, Miles's dad and I, to think about every time we left that house that his sister's wondered if he would ever come back home. Mm. So it was like then, you know, it's kind of an aha moment that as you develop and as you create a program and as you provide a foundation, that a big part of my mission for our nonprofit Shadow Buddies is to have inclusion with siblings. Sure. Because they do go through a lot. They do have, they may not be going through the exact, um, you know, hurt, physical pain, but mentally, emotionally, their psychosocial well-being is all reflected. And and it's just not the sick child. It's the whole family that ends up enduring all of that. So that was, I think, one of the big moments for me as well was listening to them and and then just having the courage to move forward. Um, with Herks, Mary, and Russell, their first order was 5,000 pieces. And I thought, oh, wow, man, this is awesome. I mean, 5,000, how am I ever going to top that? And comfort has no age limit. So we distribute as many shadow buddies to adults as we do pediatrics. Wow, I didn't we know that. We started with four shadow buddies. We started with a heart buddy because Miles has tetralogy of Fallot, a heart defect. We started with a day surgery buddy because we figured if there was a condition that a child had that we couldn't help, that the day surgery buddy could encompass um, any other condition. We then had an ostomy buddy because Miles had a colostomy. And then obviously probably one of the number one fighting diseases that we have for pediatrics is cancer. Mm. So we met a lot of families and children in the hospital that had been diagnosed with cancer. So our fourth buddy was our oncology buddy. So we started with four in 1995, and today we have over 31 different conditions in three skin tones because it's important that we um, address all ethnic backgrounds sure. and boys and girls. The girls have long hair and the boys have short hair. All the faces on Shadow Buddies were created by Miles. They all have hard eyes for love and a smile. Miles wanted every child, no matter what they were battling or an adult, that they could always find a smile on their Shadow Buddies face. So that it was a positive reflection, whether it was a heart scar down the middle and a mended heart or diabetes or a port with cancer. And, and back in the day, we had a Hickman and or a lung transplant for kids with cystic fibrosis. You can always find a smile on the Shadow Buddies face. And I think that's so important for these kids to know that whatever they're battling, that they need to view themselves in a positive manner. Sure. And I, and that would be my one overall wish is that all kids, whatever they're battling, that we teach and provide that compassion to have other kids grow up to be more compassionate adults in life. 100%. And uh, that's something that I think is is very important to me, especially being a father. And you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, a boy and a girl earlier and I know that you also had mentioned that, especially beforehand, that you're a faith-driven individual. So our daughter, Adeline, comes home. She's four at the time. 
She's now six. And uh, they taught her something called the fruits of the spirit, which mm-hmm. I'm not sure that you're familiar with, but mm-hmm. essentially it's a, a series of different you know, traits, joy, mm-hmm. kindness, love, mm-hmm. self-control, uh, to hear my daughter say it, faithful mess with it. an M. Uh, yeah. But nevertheless, I thought to myself at the age of four, my daughter is teaching us how to carry ourselves, you know, our own personal foundation, the F and fun. If we just all carried ourselves with these characteristics and the fruits of the spirit, how how much greater society would be as a result. And then to go on to the UN fund, which is understanding others' perspectives and realize that we're all different. And um, you talked about inclusion and making sure that every single demographic was represented and everybody could find uh, a shadow body that was somewhat relatable, whether it's something that they're going through or or their skin tone or their hair length or whatever it may be, that, that somebody else is there, they're like-minded and they're relatable. And I think it's important. One of the things that I've I failed to do uh, as often or as uh, thoroughly as I should in this podcast, I really want to showcase um, the amazing interactions and what you could learn about other people when you just show a genuine interest and you ask questions, mm-hmm. right? But I don't always do a great job of tying together the fundamentals piece. And specifically, when you're dealing with heartache and when you're dealing with pain, gravitating towards, towards the things that, that lift you up. Because... I believe that it is physically impossible for you to be wallowing in self-pity and heartache and pain and crying while at the exact same time doing something that makes you smile and lifts you up and, and gives you joy. And so I think for me in this particular podcast, the fundamental that you're living is, is do something bigger than yourself. Give to a cause, like dedicate yourself to helping others. And that's what Shadow Buddies is, is now become, something significantly grand that started from just an idea after experiencing probably one of the worst moments in your life. I agree. And it's probably helped propel you through even more challenging moments in your life, if I'd venture to guess, based on what I know about you. It has. I mean, it definitely has. And again, I think sharing with you a little bit about reflecting. And and the other day, I moving forward, having another birthday coming up here soon. And I've always toyed with, gosh, do I, do I, have I done enough? Um, as a person, doing kind of some soul searching and wanting to pay it forward. And there's days that I go home and and I'm very uh, fulfilled and and gratified myself with what I've done. And so I think as we all move, get a little bit older or move on in life, age is only a number. um, (laughs) But, you know, my family has been faced with a lot of challenges. And what a lot of people don't know is that you know, I personally have been faced with a lot of challenges and, and just trying to find that silver lining. And I did wake up the other day and decide, you know what? I do know what I want to do. I called my mom and I said, gosh, I know what I want to do. I want to serve children. I love my my passion. I love my mission for what I do. I want to have a succession plan moving forward. And But this is it. I will always have my hands in shadow buddies and and know that, I 25 years is a long time that I have dedicated, but it hasn't come, like you said, and, and something that I don't dwell on because I have been very faithful. I've had amazing family who, you know, you try to, to look at the, at, the, at the glass half sure, full right. and not half empty. Um, through all of this, it wasn't, you know, Miles and, and having twins wasn't the only setback in the life, but, you know, losing a little girl, 
um, that we found out uh, had Down syndrome. And, you know, I think we talked at our lunch that I've chose different Wait, ways. hold on. Just You just kind of like mixed that in. So you, very seamlessly. So you had a daughter as well that you lost? She was, yes. So um, it it is just something though that, you it, again, you, d- you don't dwell on sure. things like that. Um, we didn't have a big, you know, we, she was, um, yeah. So without you going into it, I think that you're right. We talked about this before, um, that everybody grieves and copes their own way, Mm -hmm. right? They have their own coping mechanisms and you don't want to dwell on stuff. Mm -hmm. But the more I learn about you and you told me that, Mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know this stuff about you. Mm-hmm. And what I find amazing to me, and I referenced this earlier, and the whole reason why I wanted you on, when people knew, if people knew half of the crap that you've dealt with in your life and see the way that you carry yourself and then truly reflect and wake up in the morning and think about how shitty they think <laughs> their life actually is, and we've all had those days. And we've all had those days, yeah. right? And, yeah. and I talk about this in, in certain keynotes. You know, the difference between a victim and a victor's mentality is short-term memory. Bingo. Because you're going to have great days and you're going to have terrible days. And if you're on cloud freaking nine, just give it time. You're going to get knocked down a peg or two. Right. And what you do in those moments is you, you, you take a step back. You grieve if necessary. Right. You reflect. You identify any learning opportunities and what you'd potentially do differently. Right. And then you move the hell on. You do. Because that's that's not only what your loved ones would want, right? but your time is so finite on this earth. And so think about while you're dwelling in all the crap that's not working, not you, but right. society in general, all the stuff that you're missing. Because there's beautiful things happening all around you, right? right. Like we mm-hmm. could cross paths on the street. I could have come to the Shadow Buddies event five years ago, the first opportunity I ever had to meet Travis Kelsey, right. which probably was one of the catalysts to, to him playing a role, albeit minimal, in my life. Uh-huh. You created that. I could have been in my feelings that day, and I could have been dwelling on, you know, fundamentalism was not doing well, and I was operating in the red, and I didn't know what it was going to be, and I didn't know where the next paycheck was, and I was a single earner. And so I could have been in my feelings and dwelling on the shit that wasn't working and decided, you know what? I'm not going to go to the Shadow Buddies golf tournament today. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. But then I did, and I met you. And, you know, amongst many other things, my life has changed. Aww. Why? Because you, you realize that, that while you're focusing and you're in your head, and if you think about fundamentalism, um, really what I'm challenging people to do, each other, is to help others and ourselves get out of our heads. Right. Because that's where we spend the bulk of our time, especially when we're dealing with all of this heartache and strife, right? Mm-hmm. But when you meet somebody like you or you find a cause like Shadow Buddies or you go out and you pay a compliment to a stranger or you have a web guy like Larry and he really you know, moves you forward in life, then ultimately life gets a lot better. And it just starts with challenging each other to get out of our head, something that you've done a phenomenal job with. So- one of the things that you said earlier um, that I'd just like to circle back and talk through is something that I could relate to. You had mentioned that everybody thinks about the individual that's challenged uh, with, a, with a health issue, right. uh, i.e. Miles in your right. case. 
We have a mutual friend, uh, mutual friends, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Wilson and Noah and, and Deb Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, parents of, of Noah Wilson. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, Shadow Buddies and Noah's Bandage Projects are affiliates. We're yep, partners. partners. We do some stuff together, and it's really cool. And that's part of the reason why you know I've got the opportunity to meet you throughout yes. the years. And uh, we've talked a little bit off air about you know competing priorities in the philanthropic space. And I love it when you meet people that just understand that. The world's a better place if we move each other forward, right? Exactly. But you had mentioned about how challenging it is for the people around you. So everybody is is, um, in the midst of of Miles' Mm -hmm. challenges. Mm -hmm. One thing to consider is, you know, when when is Marty getting her time? When is she working on herself? When is she not consistently, you know, always putting her heart, mind, body, and spirit and everything else into the development of her child and wondering whether he's going to be here tomorrow? Right. And then compound that with your daughters. Like, we don't know. Right. Well, obviously, when Noah passed, um, Connor, Natalie, and Kaylee, siblings of Noah, um, there was that initial gut punch, right? Mm -hmm. And they're young, and they didn't know how to take it. And now fast forward multiple years, the issues haven't stopped, right? I mean, you're consistently faced with um, life without a loved one or through these challenging situations, whatever it is you dealt with, everybody in the family is affected. And so I love the fact that you have taken that opportunity with the shadow body, not just to focus on the individual going through it, but all of the individuals that are affected or impacted by it. Right. And, you know, there, uh, I gave all of those kids a guardian angel buddy. Mm. So I wanted them to know that Noah was always looking over them or that this is a piece that they could have of him. And I, and I think Noah also had his buddy too. So an amazing, um, and you, and you talk about life changing in an instant, the first time Miles and I went and met Scott, we were talking about partnering and, and doing the shadow buddies and and working together. And we wanted to meet Noah. And I think that exact same year, they were the honorary chairs for our 20th gala mm. uh, that we did the Roaring Twenties down mm-hmm. at um, down at the Marriott. So, you know, here we are sitting here, and and Miles and I are trying to comfort him, and 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 Scott's in a awesome mood and you know Noah had just come back with clear scans or and he was able he was actually at his baseball game with yeah. his mom and super excited and then I, I meant to me my recollection might not be spot on but I think it was like five days later because it was like the next and miles called me and said mom he said you know Noah died mm. And passed away. And I said, no. I mean, you know, you think. So then I think that mom mode went in me because immediately I reached out to them and said, I want your kids to have these angel bodies. I want them to have them. And and it was important for us. And I think that, you know, you, you just have to stop and look at— um, they were very brave. And now I think how many families I reached out to, you know, here they had just lost a child and I'm on the phone saying, oh no, we have to meet up because I want you to have this. And 
probably looking back, maybe I shouldn't have been a little bit as forceful, but I wanted them to feel that love and to know that the community was there. My very first meeting 25 years ago was down. It used to be the old Alameda Plaza, and I think it's now the Intercontinental. Okay. And I was very fortunate to be introduced through Ed Connolly by a lady by the name of Adele Hall and sat down and had coffee with her down there and never dreamed that Adele Hall would sit in front of me and talk to me and give this young lady an opportunity about starting a nonprofit. What could she do to help me? And at the end of that meeting, she looked at me and she said, this is what I love about you and why you're going to be a success is because you're not trying to invent the wheel. We do have a lot of charities here in town, but when you can take a great idea and you have the capability to see the big picture of being able to partner with somebody and to be an add-on to where you can make a bigger impact instead of just coming along and saying, oh, well, these are my buddies and this is what I'm going to do or whatever charity it is. For sure. Um, I think you have an opportunity to make a bigger impact in your community. And just like we're doing with Noah's Bandage Project, for every oncology buddy, for every backpack that we send out to the kids during the the camps, for everything that works with our schools and even with our senior homes, we are adding the bandages to our shadow buddies because these are kids that are being treated, that have the sticks, that, you know, go through all of that. So it's, you know, it's an honor for us to be able to continue even after the 25 years to find new people to partner with in the community. And and I, I love it. I think that's the key to success is to being able to look at the big picture, to always have your, your heart in your arms and um, be open to different ideas. And, you know, we, we have been blessed to work with amazing athletes and partners in our community through thick and thin. And, and part of what I think I shared with you before, just to, for people out there that to take it one day at a time. I, seven years ago, was diagnosed with a very debilitating disease called Lyme's disease. Um, spent two years in bed, had to pretty much learn how to walk again. And was told that, you know, probably my my future itself was over. Shadow Buddies was in jeopardy. I would um, get through each day by listening to music. Mm. So I think you have to find in your heart what what drives you and what gives you that next vision. Miles was a huge Garth Brooks fan. I saw actually what Miles did to Miles music did to Miles's heart several times that he's met Garth. So I think even in my own life through raising children and and having been through what we've been through that I've been able to make uh, a difference and been able to take some of those lives, uh, tragedies, turn them into triumphs and be good in my heart with what what I have done because I do believe that you know, we do move on to bigger and higher and better things and and be grateful for what we have each day because tomorrow is not a given. For sure. So you just hit on like seven different fundamentals. No, I'm a girl. Uh, we, we talk about seven no, conversations th- no, right at one time. Because just circling back, you know, one of my favorite fundamentals is listening to music with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I believe that no matter what you're feeling, uh, you could find a song to evoke a, an emotion that you want to feel, right? Right. So... Uh, I grew up on Motown. 
I mean, my mom was always listening to whether it was Marvin Gaye or Bill Withers or Tina Turner or whoever. Carol King. Yeah, you get it. (laughs) So when when you're diagnosed with Lyme disease and you're spending the bulk of your time in bed, music is helping power you through that. What are you listening to? So I'm, I think I'm listening to, oh gosh, the good questions. I think just a variety of what I grew up with. I think depending on happy music, uh, whether it was Stevie Wonder, mm. You Are the Sunshine of My Life, a lot of Garth Brooks songs because I knew what Miles, because I'm a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll yeah. here. <laughs> um, so I think at the time that, you know, I felt that day, but, you know, it is hard. Sickness is, is, is lonely and going through other things during that time. But it was just one day, if I could get through one day. And I think there's times and, and some of my best best um, little antidotes that I even tell parents and not even relating to what I personally went through, but having a child is that you take it one hour at a time. I think I touched on, we lived in the hospital for five years. And at first with his heart condition, because it was so... Uh, severe tetralogy of Fallot, uh, same condition Jimmy Kimmel's son has. Mm. And back then, you did baby steps, and a lot of the kids did not survive the valve replacements. So his surgeons would come in and say, well, celebrate his first birthday like there's no tomorrow because he's not going to make it to two. Mm. So we did. We celebrated. We did what we were told, um, you know, because back then you put your faith, and and you do. You have to put your faith in love, and and especially being a new parent, never having a sick child, you do. That doctor becomes God to you. I mean, I remember the days that these doctors all come walking in in their white coats at Children's Mercy, you know, Dr. Ashcraft, Dr. Holder, and and uh, they walk in, and you've got this little list of questions or big list of questions that you want to know, and they walk in, and they state what's going on. They turn around, and, and you don't know what's hit you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, wait a minute. I wish I would have asked him that. But we did everything faithfully that they told us to do. And by the time he turned five, my first thing when I walked in is said, okay, I'm getting a little bit better at this now. Um don't tell me how much time we have. Don't right. tell me if he's going to make it to five. Don't tell me, because right now he's beat the odds. And today sure. at 32, he's beat the odds. Never thought we'd see him get married and blessed that he married this wonderful young lady, Jessica, who's a school teacher. Could not have picked a better wife for Miles. And so, you know, we, we have beaten the odds. Does he still have challenges in front of him? Absolutely. But we have focused, and I think then you start to focus on the good things and not dwell on, because I can't tell you how many times in my mind I buried him. I can't tell you how many times in my mind I thought, my God, what what will I put him in? What will we do? He was five years old. We were driving past when we lived in Olathe, a cemetery. And you talk about out of the mouth of babes or I swear children who are going through issues are a lot more intelligent and smarter than what we give them credit oh, 100%. for. Just, I meant, the things that your daughter's learning for about sure. faith. Yeah. So we drive past the cemetery, and he says to me, you know what, Mom? I'm going to be there before my friends Brady and Matt. Mm. And he's five years old, and I'm about to run off the side of the road. And today, he doesn't remember that conversation because I said to him, do you remember ever driving by? And he said to me, because, Mom, what will they serve me in heaven? Mm. And I said, Miles, they will serve you anything that you want to be put on that feast table. So 
again, a lot of different emotions and a lot of different things, but I have no regrets with the way uh, he was raised. I have no regrets. He's been opened and exposed to a lot of amazing people. You, one of them, the community, one of them, the athletes that have stepped up to the plate to help lend their name in order for us to be able to make a bigger impact. And just for families to know that people, that athletes are looked up to, do take the time out of their busy day, do take the time out of their schedule. And I think that's 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 a powerful, powerful feeling for these families and watching their faces light up. And, and I think that's what it is, is paying it forward and giving it back. For sure. So a couple of things. I want to uh, reserve the remainder of our time together to talk about some of these unique and amazing experiences and people that you've had the opportunity to meet through your journey as a result of, uh, or a byproduct of some of the challenges that you faced have presented you with many opportunities as well. Uh, but prior to doing that, um, you, you'd mentioned so much there. I had an individual that recently reached out to me and he was tuning into the podcast. And uh, I talk about oftentimes uh, we make it far more difficult than it needs to be, right? It, really, the answer to dealing with challenge is simple. Gravitate more towards the things that lift you up as opposed to the things that tear you down. And this gentleman reached out to me, private messaged me on Facebook, and he was like, I, I can't help but listen to your podcast. And I found myself down and and uh, beating myself up. And I said, why? And he said, because, you know, you keep saying it's, it's simple, it's simple, it's simple. Well, it's not simple for me and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to move forward and I'm constantly faced with challenge, right? And so uh, I never want to guilt somebody into moving forward. I never want to tear them down because despite the fact that we've all been through significant challenges, unfortunately, ego gets in the way of a lot of things and nothing is worse than the problems that we face right now in this moment to us. You're correct. So with that regard, I know that nobody could compare to your story. Nobody could, can relate to my story and, and the challenges that Larry and, and Chase and Melissa Long and D- Scott and Deb Wilson and everybody and Marty Postlewaite and Miles, we all face, they're all different. And it's tough to put things into perspective comparatively. But just to recap, you had twins. Mm -hmm. One was lost at birth. Mm -hmm. One wasn't supposed to make it. Mm -hmm. Given to you 10 days after birth, Mm -hmm. one pound and some odd ounces. Correct. Wasn't supposed to make it. Here we are 32 years old. Right. Lost a daughter. Right. Diagnosed with Down syndrome. Right. Given uh, not necessarily a death sentence, but a really challenging moment in your life faced with Lyme disease where you were bedridden and not knowing what the future held. Hearing your son drive by a frickin' uh, uh, cemetery saying, I'll be there before my friends, or what, what food will I have in heaven? I can't help but hear that stuff and say, damn our problems. <laughs> like, how do, I, how do I see you and the way that you carry about your business and, and realize that I would have, first of all, nobody knows the bulk of that stuff about you. And you still have this amazing light and fire in you, in you that helps others. And I think that it stems from the fact that going back to the philanthropic space, 
and this is life and this is the philanthropic space and it's business, it's everything. So much of what we do is driven by ego. And some, sometimes I get into this, this philanthropic space and I'm like, this feels disgusting, right? It's mm-hmm. like, everybody's, well, we see, what, we see what they're doing. How do we get to that level? I know. And I think it just goes back to what you said. And I feel like it's what's made shadow bodies and yourself very successful in that forget what everybody else is doing. If we are driven and guided by our heart and we know what feels right and we're on this earth to help others and lift them up, then ultimately good stuff is going to happen. And that's kind of what uh, I love about Shadow Buddies and Noah's Bandage Project in that, sure, there are times where you look at Alex's Lemonade Stand or Braden's Hope or whatever it may be. And I've had many conversations with Scott about this where, oh, well, how do we get to that level? We don't. Why be a second-rate somebody else when we could be a first-rate us, right? Amen. The thing that I love about Shadow Buddies and the thing that I've really, uh, I've really um, just connected with with Noah's Bandage Project is that we're so different in that we have something very tangible, right? Right. It's not that we're just raising money uh, to go and— because no one can see that. Like, you can't see the progress. Right. American Cancer Society does some wonderful things, but you're donating a million dollars and you don't know what happens as a result of that. When you give a box of Band-Aids or when you do a bandage drive and you have a collection of people in one room that are boxing up bandages and the smiles and shit, or you physically give somebody a buddy or a guardian angel or whatever, and now all of a sudden they're, they're, they're not thinking about all the crap that's going on in their life. That's a difference maker, and that that's is. a differentiator from a from a uh, philanthropic position. It is. You're right, and I think that you know we all have we all have challenges, and I and I I love listening to you and the things. And when I first met you, and you talk about you know your passion and your energy and and the excitement that you bring to people, and it's you know it's a lot better internally, and just what you would put out there in the universe is if somebody says, hey, how's your day? And it's like, oh, it's okay. And instead say, you know what? It's a great day. We're, we're here. Right. We're, it's all in, I think, how you sometimes For present sure. yourself. And that is something that I've really worked on the last five years because you're right. We could wallow in our pity. We could say, oh God, why me? And, you know, for a while, I did say that in the beginning. It's like, and then I think once I got through that when Miles was little, it's like, gosh, I have a purpose. I need to find this purpose. And I think each year it's grown. And I'm so proud of myself that I can say for 25 years now that I have found my purpose. And I'm going to make this my mission. I love it. And whether I do 25,000 shadow buddies this year or I can do 50, and we've added a new line of our courageous crew this year, which I want to focus on helping the firemen, the policemen, the military veterans, our our EMTs and our doctors. I, I think it's all in how you approach it. And I feel very blessed, love my community, have an amazing family, have amazing people that you choose to surround yourself with. And I think that those are the people and your key to success and, and, sure. and making it good. So Energy is real and palpable. And, uh, you know, I once heard that um, the worst that we see in other people could actually just be a reflection of the worst in ourselves. 
And so oftentimes, uh, Larry's laughing because I feel like that's a mantra that he lives every single day. And I'm sure I've heard it from him no less than 20 times. But nevertheless, gravitate towards people that give you strength. Gravitate towards the things that give you strength. Everybody goes through it. And I'm not downplaying anybody that's listening's problems or challenges. never, never. They're always going to exist. But find what lifts you up through those times and and do something to pull yourself out of it like you did. Yeah. which has created just these amazing opportunities for you. And we wouldn't be sitting in front of you if it wasn't for, or in front of each other if it wasn't for Shadow Buddies. Uh, we, we talked about uh, before we came on, you and I being on a party bus oh, to celebrate the 2015 <laughs> World Series win by the Kansas City Royals. Paul George of the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs, All-Pro, tight end, and Super Bowl winner, uh, Tony Gonzalez, Hall of Famer for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I think I want to say that, didn't you like run by me briefly in uh, just passing conversation? You said Mikhail Gorbachev you had met. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So Give me amazing. Some of- <laughs> okay, so we could be here for, maybe we could, uh, we, we should do we another little segment. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So it was some of the amazing stories. So four years into Shadow Buddies, we get a call from the National Children's Cancer Society based out of St. Louis, Missouri said, oh, by the way, we have uh, Miguel Gorbachev and his wife, Raisha, coming into town to do this big national program, and they were based out of St. Louis. So they said, we would love for you to present some shadow buddies to them. I said, oh, my. So I think at the time, it's all fast and furious, and I'm like, okay, this is really cool. Um, Took the opportunity. You did the background check, security, all that. Had the opportunity to come face-to-face. They were very passionate, a huge supporter uh, for kids in Russia. And his wife, Raisha, before she passed away, her mission was to help these children. Because you look at different cultures and different uh, communities and, and different worlds and these children with cancer in Russia, their parents don't want them. So mm. they're put out on the streets. So their goal back then was to create these orphanage homes specifically for children with pediatric cancer. So we were able to go do a big presentation to uh, Miguel Gorbachev and his wife and sent them back to Russia with 250 oncology buddies. Wow. And made such a huge impact. And she later on was diagnosed with cancer and lost her battle. But just some of the opportunities and the experiences that we've done. I've been to China. I've been to Tibet with Heart to Heart International. We went and taught uh, Hollister, the uh, pharmaceutical company, provided ostomy buddies so that we could go and teach um, ostomy education to the nurses in China, then went to Tibet and was able to meet. uh, The Dalai Lama was not there at the time, but we were able to visit orphanages and deliver the shadow buddies and and just the experiences of being able to pay it forward and and do more than just what we did here and and go to Alaska and help the kids through FedEx with the cancer program in Anchorage, Alaska. So it definitely has built my path and left a big imprint of uh, really special footprints in my heart because it's given me opportunities to do things and and expose um, other people and families to be able to have the the true benefit of what buddies can bring to so many different families. For sure. And one thing that I love about what you just said and gets lost, uh, it gets lost upon a lot of people 
So people will always ask me questions like, oh, how did you get connected with Danny Duffy? Or mm-hmm. how did you how did you run into Derek Johnson? Or how did Travis Kelsey write the foreword of your book? Mm-hmm. And I don't know any of those guys personally or hadn't met them personally prior to doing philanthropic events. Right. And so the the reason why these individuals play a significant role in your shadow buddy's growth or, you know, a minimal role in my life or whatever it may be is because we don't consistently reach out to them and ask them for stuff, right? Right. We're driven by a common threat. And that common threat is do something for humanity, do something bigger for, for, for society than for ourselves. Right. And so as a result, so many tremendous things have happened, right? So when I go out and I, and I talk about fundamentalism, and talking about bestowing kindness on others and being thoughtful, you're not doing it with the expectation of getting something in return. No. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do and it feels good. And selfishly, I'll, I'll also add, it gives you something. Like, I feel amazing when I'm out helping or when Indiana Farm Bureau does a, a bandage drive uh, in correlation with the keynote that I'm doing. The impact that we have is is amazing, right? Right. But the moment that you start doing stuff with the expectation of getting stuff back is the moment that, first of all, your moral compass is broken. Right. And ultimately, stuff starts to fall apart. Because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And that's where a lot of um, a lot of charities fail and individuals fail, right? I agree because they are looking for that kudo. My newest thing is, um, you know, sprinkle kindness and happiness like confetti. And again, we, we go back to the... the to the saying is that in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And I do love what you just said because I feel that when you go out with the, the intentions to be good, to do good, to do something positive and pay that forward, that you are doing it for the right reasons. And I truly believe that that's going to come back twofolds to you. And I also believe that it's going to make our community, make the world, wherever we go, a brighter place because gosh knows we definitely need that. For sure, 100%. Definitely. So around the time that you had the opportunity four years into your Shadow Buddies journey, um, Mikhail Gorbachev, mm-hmm. that probably would have been around the same time, forgive my ignorance, uh, I know, give or take some years, but that you were introduced to Tony Gonzalez and he became the ambassador for Shadow Buddies. Is that accurate? Great story. So we met Tony. We started Shadow Buddies in 95. I met Tony, actually met his mom first. It was uh Cute story. So we had been contacted by the Chiefs. That was back in the days where, you know, the Chiefs would reach out to, to charities and now it's up to oh, the players. Oh, things have changed. Get, oh, my. <laughs> um, so my friend called that worked with the Chiefs and said, so w- we had presented Shadow Buddies to a couple of other players that gracefully declined. Um, and then she said, oh, we've got this new rookie coming in by the name of Tony Gonzalez. I knew nothing about football. Yes. I mean, I had two girls. I had nothing about, I mean, I loved the Chiefs, loved the Royals. So I said, okay. And he, she said, well, his mom's in healthcare. She's an administrator, was a nurse, was a CEO of a hospitals. And he wants you to meet her first. So I met Tony's mom and dad at, back in the day, it was a Santa Fe barbecue in Olathe. So I go walking in, not knowing what to expect. And she and I hit it off very gracefully. But yes, the beauty about Tony 
is that when you got Tony, you got his whole family. His mom and I, our best friends, was very honored that I just spent last weekend watching the Super Bowl with her in Huntington Beach. It was so great to be where it was nice and warm. And, sure. and, and I know it was the one day it was 60 here in Kansas City. So <laughs> that was my uh, that was my clue that thought, oh, I think we, we're going to pull this off because right? the gods sure. are looking down on us, <laughs> looking for the positive. Yeah, because— If I know anything about God, he is a chief man. (laughs) Yeah, he is. He is. Or she is. Or she, yeah. But you know what? That was, I watched Tony grow up. I met Tony when he was 21 years old. So I've watched him become a man. I've watched him become this amazing father. And he he does a podcast now, too. Yes, I saw that. Um, We need to get him on yours. Oh, would that be amazing? He, um, he... His podcast is about, he said, that uh, he wants to dig deeper into the minds of people and celebrities and find out what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, there's a lot of things, which kind of, to me, is is it's not funny, but to have known Tony as well, he used to be a little bit more reserved, and now he wants to dig into, but he's actually a very, um, you know, philosophical— Sure, cerebral guy yes. that's— um, I would love, man, if we could score that interview, that would be, to watch, that guy's a legend yeah, in Kansas City. To watch him grow and to watch his passion. I mean, he has a grandmother that's 102 years old. Really? And he's just, you know, he's just an all about giving, uh, loving person. And the first time he met Miles was at Arrowhead Stadium. We were doing one of our benefit dinners out there. And I'd saved and saved and saved money to buy back then, I think, Doc Martens. Mm-hmm. And I think the yellow if you, threads. If you, yeah, if, I if you keep them long enough, I think they're coming back in style again because my granddaughter wants a pair. But we had saved and saved and saved money for him to wear these Doc Martens out to go to the event. And, um, so we were doing a garage sale the week before, trying to raise a little extra money family-wise, and Miles actually put the wrong pair of Doc Martens in the garage sale, and some lady came and bought them for five bucks. Oh, no. So Miles had no shoes. So we were already out at Arrowhead. We had a car that was going to come and pick up my kids, and this was going to be the first time that Miles met Tony. And nothing like I was mortified as a mother that he walks into the Arrowhead Club in his socks. <laughs> With no shoes and introducing, and I'm thinking to myself, oh gosh, this guy's going to think we're a real loser now. And Tony is like, really? Can you not afford? And I'm like, you don't know the whole background behind this. But um, Miles and Tony have built an amazing relationship. Tony has been the brother that Miles has never had. I think they've confided, I know they've confided a lot of things in life. And it's really special that you know, Miles, because of Tony's, been able to experience a lot of things. Uh, Tony was the first person that convinced Miles at one of the Pro Bowls in Hawaii to take his shirt off because Miles looks like a little railroad track with, you know, zipper scars and ostomy scars and kidney scars and all kinds of scars. And Tony's like, hey, dude, we don't care about it. it. Take your shirt off. Ever since then, Miles has learned how to own it, and I think it just kind of took a little bit of a push. But, you know, between Tony and then Matt Castle, who I know, he was an amazing person, to working with Ryan Suckup, to working with Dustin Colquitt, to Travis, to, um, you know, some of the pitchers that Royals Charities was involved with, to uh, Matt Beasler, and back in the days, Dom Dom Dwyer, and, and SUNY, and... It's just been amazing, and I will say that Paul 
Paul George has been an amazing person to work with. And again, you talk about never knowing whether or not we have another day. We had this big event planned for last week with the Clippers. So Paul's mom had a stroke when Paul was six, and Paul had never been in an ambulance. So part of overcoming his fear was that he wants to help other children and families, whether they're in an accident or the scene of an accident, to have his rescue superhero buddies on all of the LA Now County Fire uh, EMTs, Palmdale, where he. So we went and did this big, um, had it planned. Well, lo and behold, um, you know the tragedy of Kobe Mm. and his crew and his daughter and coaches uh, that happened on the Sunday before we flew out. So again, I think you put that. My my positive is to think that what a blessed group of people that at least had a connection and Gigi with Kobe, but everything that night uh, was dedicated. And we were the first game that played after that event. Was very fortunate to meet the L.A. County Fire Chief. Um, And he loves the program, but he was the one that did the press conference. And he said reaffirmed that, you know, what we do and paying it forward in the community and having that ability to take a life situation and to turn it around and bring a positive out for other people is definitely um, worth it. So I made him a promise that if the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, that he's a San, Fra- he's a, a San Diego fan. Okay. So he wants me to treat him to barbecue and bring him out to a Chiefs game next year. So I've got to Sold. make that happen. There it is. And then he, in turn, wants to, to have me attend a San Diego game with him. But it was, um, you know, everybody hurts, everybody goes through a part to grieve. But I love the dedication that Paul did to Kobe. And again, knows that it's not the ending, but it's the beginning and that they too will catch up someday in For the future. Sure. So. That, um, you know, I will say that I was never a huge Kobe fan um, because of because of the tale of all the extremes, you know, you you'd have you had to be a Michael Jordan guy or a LeBron guy or mm-hmm. a Kobe guy, and so as a result, everybody hated on the others. Whereas right. I was just like, can't we just admire greatness? Right. And so, because I was never uh, a huge Kobe fan, I never really followed him much. But man, when he passed, it hit me really hard, and it was it specifically hit me hard not because of who he was. Uh, but seeing the father that he was and right. what he became as a result. And I think it just, it goes back to the point that that you've been making over and over and over again throughout the course of this, this interview. Gravitate towards the people that lift you up. Have a strong family circle. You know, you never know when time is going to be done or your number is going to be called or your family is going to be called. So, Live it up while you can and do something bigger than yourself. Leverage these moments of strife and pain as an opportunity to build something bigger and become a stronger individual and grow as a result. You provide opportunities like that regularly, and I would be remiss if we didn't discuss some of these opportunities for folks that want to learn more about Shadow Buddies. So if I'm a podcast listener, uh, and this is the first I'm hearing of Shadow Buddies, where do we go to learn more? You can go to shadowbuddies.org. Perfect. Check out our website, and we're continually updating it, so would love that. Follow us on Facebook, social media. We try to keep everybody in the community updated on events that we do for Shadow Buddies to try to help 
create more awareness and to be able to raise a little extra funding for some of the great programs that we do. 100%. And one of the um, amazing events that you just finalized in December or January is you guys, you take an airplane, right? Uh, So briefly give a high-level overview of that because that is powerful. So we partner with United Airlines here. It's called the Fantasy Fly. So we host, uh, the lot, two years ago, we did Hope Kids. This year, past year, we did the uh, Pediatric Kids at the University of Kansas Medical Center. So we do a flight to where we take these kids. We literally get airspace cleared at 10,000 feet. We fly them for 50 minutes to the North Pole. We spend 16 hours um converting the international gate at Kansas City into a winter wonderland, complete with Santa, Secret Service brings them. But we give these day, these kids a magical day, the families. We give every child a gift. We give families gift cards for $100 to go to the grocery store so that they can have a holiday meal. We do fun things. We bring the, the pets in for pet partners. We want to give them a day to understand what the holidays and the magic and the joy and love of believing and having just something that they can walk away with a big smile on their face. So we are so honored to be able to do that and partner with them and to fly these kids and the flight attendants. And we play songs and look forward to doing it every year and hope to continue to make a huge difference. Such a cool event. And uh, it's the last thing I'll say about Shout Out Buddies is... Um, What's cool about and and it it's it's like um, or in common with Noah's Bandage Project is that you're not just raising funds or you're not just creating the buddies. You're actually delivering moments of happiness and joy as well. And so that's what I love is it it allows people the opportunity to get out of their head and experience. Like for example, a sporting uh, clay event. Yeah. So this is coming up. So you're shooting clay pigeons. So we'll go out. Yes, we'll go out <laughs> to a saddle and sirloin. We'll shoot clay pigeons. We give our uh, construction workers and our concrete, I mean, just a whole other network of uh, professionals that get to come out and and the boys with their toys and and do fun things. And, you know, there's always something fun to do for everybody. And I I do agree with you. I, back to your comment about, you know, Shadow Buddies, in my opinion, is one of the best non-prescription portions of healthcare that does help, help heal the young minds and hearts. And it is all about addressing that emotional and psychosocial yes. side. And um, the biggest thing people say to me is, oh, gosh, well, Miles is 32. Does he still have his shadow buddy? Sure he does. He has it. But, you know, does he walk around and, and take it everywhere with him? But you know what? If he still reflects back on those 32 years in his quiet time or in the hospital room or during surgery— I'm sure that that brings him the comfort of knowing not only what he has done, but what we have been able to do to help other other um, other families. And so it is. There, there's more to medicine, and that's like you said, the warm fuzzy part that really goes a long way. Sure, the mental the mental space is the best medicine or the worst medicine one could ever ask for. Right. So, right. listen, uh, you're always so complimentary of me. Uh, whenever I'm struggling with my own ego, I know just the person to call. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I did to deserve you as a friend in life. Uh, you are a true inspiration to many, many people. Uh, I love what you're doing with Shadow Buddies. I love what you're doing in the community. I love what you're doing just personally and uh, moving yourself and your family forward. So I am proud to call you not only a friend, but uh, I love you as a family member. Uh-huh. We are blessed to have you on the podcast today. Marty Postalweight, everybody. Um, 
you know, one of the things that I heard you say consistently is pay it forward, yeah. right? Do the right thing. Do, do, do what feels good, right? Without things in yes. expectation is yes. in return. So if you want to learn more about Shadow Buddies, please go to shadowbuddies.org. Uh, sign up for one of their amazing events, including, but not limited to, their upcoming golf tournament, May 18th at Dubs Dread. Uh, Scott Wilson, myself, Chase McAnulty from uh, Charlie Hustle, we'll be on a team. So get ready to get schooled because we'll talk all the mess. Uh, not me, I'm just drinking all the booze, but I'm having a great time as a result. Marty, thank you for from the bottom of Thank our heart. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You and bet. I'm so honored to be here and back at you to call you my friend and call you a family member. You make my world a better place. Thank you. As always, we greatly appreciate you tuning in to the Fundamism Podcast. We challenge you to go out and create some fun in your life today. And by all means, find a way to create fun in the lives of others as well. We feel honored to have you. Uh, We look forward to helping each other grow the Fundamism community and challenge each other to get out of our heads. And we wish you the most wonderful of days. Have fun and deuces. Deuces.